With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. To sales at GabRadioNetwork.com. That's sales at GabRadioNetwork.com. KCAA Loma Linda, 1050 AM, 106.5 FM, and now 102.3 FM. I'm Tom Busby, CNBC. American millennials are having fewer babies. That means diaper sales are way down. So Huggies maker Kimberly Clark says it has to cut costs by cutting upwards of 5,500 jobs, 13% of its global workforce, and close down 10 plants. On Wall Street today, new record highs for the NASDAQ and the S&P 500. The Dow, though, three points lower at the close. The NASDAQ up 52. The big winner today, shares of Netflix up 10%. That's after it signed up more than 8 million new subscribers last quarter. Netflix now worth more than $100 billion. And it received four Oscar nominations for its movie Mudbound today, its first nominations ever. Shares of United Airlines lower in late trading. It beat earnings estimates for last quarter late today, but it has to spend more to buy new planes. And Disney will use its corporate tax break to give workers a $1,000 bonus. Verizon giving workers 50 shares of company stock. Tom Busby, CNBC. Pop quiz. What's the most important part of a ship? Don't answer. It's the crow's nest. Know why? Complete visibility. I can see what's on the horizon and my crew pulling the ship together on the deck below. That's how I run this ship, and that's why we use Granger. Granger helps us keep a clear eye on our inventory, saving us time, saving us money, and helping keep everything ship shape. It's always smooth sailing with Granger. Call clickgranger.com or stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. At Discover, we believe anniversaries should be a time of celebration, not obligation. That's why we think annual fees are ridiculous. And now just for giving us a try, we're going to give new card members a one-year anniversary gift they'll never forget. At the end of your first year, we'll match all the cash back you've earned dollar for dollar. No caps and no catches, because we know if you try us, you'll like us. And that's worth every penny. Try it and believe it at discover.com slash match. Cash back match offer only for new card members. Limitations apply. And now, Inland Empire Today with Blake Trulli. A new study found some interesting information on going to the hospital. Sarah Lee Kessler has more. Patients are more likely to die at hospitals on the weekends or at night. That's according to a new study in the Journal of the American College of Cardiology. It looked at people suffering from brain bleeds, heart attacks, and lung clots, and it shows that patients are more likely to die off hours, although there has been an improvement in survival rates in recent years. Health Update, Sarah Lee Kessler, NBC. If I told you... 
you'd never have to make a house payment again. What if you could pay off much needed home repairs and even create an income stream based on the value of your home? If you're 62 years old or older, you could be eligible for a reverse mortgage. Call Tim Harrison and find out if a reverse mortgage is right for you. Call Tim at 800-566-2475. That's 800-566-2475. Tim Harrison, branch manager, NMLS number 170960. Broadview Mortgage Corporation is licensed by the Department of Business Oversight under the California Residential Mortgage Lending Act, license number 170952. Registered with the Nationwide Mortgage Licensing System and registry number 813B544. Broadview Mortgage, equal housing lender. Remember, if you never want to make a house payment again, except for property taxes... Maintenance and insurance. That's 800 566 2475. That's 800 566 2475. This segment of programming sponsored by CyberTime Network Communications. How's your internet? Feeling boxed in with the high costs of the internet? Ready for a better internet service? Then you're ready for CyberTime. Yes, there's an alternative to those big corporate internet service providers. It's CyberTime Network Communications. CyberTime is so good, they provide all the connectivity for this radio station. Crisp, cool, fast and sleek, CyberTime uses the latest, leading-edge microwave technology. No wires, no cables, no sharing, and they're able to offer clients a safe, reliable, public or private network that fits almost any budget size. And several cities rely on CyberTime's microwave private network for their most critical mission applications. Get connected. Stay connected. Get smart. Get CyberTime. You can Google, text, or call CyberTime Network Communications at 909-795-9559. That's 909-795-9559. Hi, y'all. Merle here. Good news. For once, my neighbors is jealous of me. You want to know why? Because my grass is growing and looking green, and I can sit on my sofa out in the front yard, and I don't even have to overwater it anymore. You know how I did it? I listen to damn water boys on the water zone every Thursday night on KCIA. Well, I got me a smart controller, and now it waters at night, and my yard looks darn tootin'. No more sneaking around and hooking up my hose to my neighbor's spigot in the middle of the night, and his dog won't bite me anymore. And you can do it too. Listening is easier than ever. KCAA is now screaming online. It's streaming. What? It's streaming, you dummy. Well... I don't know much about streaming, but they doing it apparently at KCARadio.com. And they also on three radio frequencies now too. 1050 AM, 102.3 FM, and 106.5 FM. Hmm, I guess that's for those one percenters who have three radios. So anywho, listen to the Water Zone and fix your yacht up right. Right here at KCAA, the station that leaves no listener behind. Are you tired of CNN constantly negative news headlines? Then come balance with Dr. Marissa, the kinder, gentler Dr. Laura. Tune in every Thursday at 7 for the podcast of the year top 10 award-winning show, Take My Advice, I'm Not Using It. Get balanced with Dr. Marissa on KCAA AM 1050, FM 102.3, and FM 106.5, streaming online at KCAARadio.com. Dr. Marissa, also known as the Asian Oprah, right here on KCAA, the stations that leave no listener behind. Welcome to Isla Earth. By 1999, the round goby, a harmless-looking little bug-eyed fish from the Black Sea, 
was found in all five of the Great Lakes, and it was wreaking havoc on the local ecosystem. The only good thing scientists could say about the goby was that it ate a lot of zebra mussels, another unwelcome visitor. Scientists knew that zebra mussels had probably come over in ballast tanks, sucked in as ships filled them with water. Did the goby get here the same way? It was an interesting idea, except for one thing. The goby is a bottom dweller, and as such is rarely seen at the surface where ships take in ballast water. But now, University of Michigan biologist David Jude and graduate student Stephen Hensler believe they've solved this mystery. They documented millions of newly hatched gobies swimming to the surface. It's synchronized swimming on a grand scale as they follow food sources and evade predators. And guess what? This happens late at night when the world's freighters are filling their ballast tanks. Next mystery to solve? How to keep the hitchhiking goby at home in the Black Sea. Learn more about invasive species at islaearth.org. Isla Earth is recorded on the campus of California State University, San Bernardino, and produced by the Catalina Island Conservancy, because Earth is an island. You're listening to KCAA, your good neighbor along the way. Welcome to Smart Health Talk with your host, Elaine McFadden. Right before me, my newfound hippie side Once ignored these conspiracies online At the window, visions of the earth Sign me up now, make sure Take a walk on the wild side Will the birds and the bees survive? Would your children lie To see Mother Nature's Welcome to Smart Health Talk with your host, Elaine McFadden. Welcome. It's Smart Health Talk time. <laughs> and uh, that, that means it's getting smart time, which means becoming a more informed consumer. I mean, when you go in knowing what your plan is, feeling confident about your choices, doesn't that feel good? Well, that's what it's all about. It's about being form, informed and educated. And I tell you, this country needs a big lesson on being informed and educated and making good decisions. Because what I have seen on so many levels is that we are blindly, I, I, I should have brought uh, Brandon, Brandon's our engineer here. I should have brought a one of some of those black blinders, you know, like people wear uh, when they go to bed at night. Because to represent the way we make decisions in this country. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Okay, I, I was thinking about uh, horse blinders. Yeah, yeah, those are the <laughs> things that kind of, you can't see from the sides, but um, people can't see in front of them either. <laughs> and they're definitely not looking ahead. 
And when we're talking uh, budgets for our for the United States, I mean, the numbers are, are mind boggling, and they're intimidating. And people think, oh, I can't break it down into something that I can really comprehend. And we just hear like, defense, you know, or, or we have like our, our, uh, our farm bill coming up, which is a multi-billion dollar bill that affects everything that you get to you get to eat and how much you're going to pay for it. So everyone should be getting involved in that farm bill. And we got like major demand for organic in this country. People want organic food and they want, a better, want it for a better price and they want diversity. They don't want to go into a store that you've got about... A few thousand food items that are just another form of corn, soy, wheat. Uh, then we got like throw that canola oil in there and soybean oil and cottonseed oil. I mean, this is like our diet. That's about all we're eating. And then factory farm meat. Wow, that's nutritious. No, I know. Well, no wonder we have an epidemic. I mean, we got, oh gosh, I got, I got a stat. I got a stat for you. Okay, everyone, stat alert uh, on just how fat we are <laughs> in this country. Okay, the United States has the highest obesity rate of any advanced economy, standing at 36%. That's over. One third of the population is obese. And I'm not talking overweight, I am talking obese. Compared with the lowest rate in Japan, it's just 3%. Okay, so um, yeah, there's a problem. And you know what? I, I got to say it. Our president is obese. Okay, <laughs> I'm sorry I had to say it. I couldn't hold it back. Uh, you know, they had a picture of him, uh, Brandon, standing next to President Obama who is uh, 6'1", and they're the same height. And I looked at their shoes, and the sole height was the same. And yet, you know, uh, President Trump says that he's 6'3", which changes as a dietitian, a registered dietitian that I am, uh, those numbers when you figure out a person's normal weight. Of course, height is a big part of that as well as age and notice he was like one pound from that cutoff to obese isn't that a coincidence well i tell you we have we are going to be talking numbers here today but don't be intimidated okay because these are numbers that we can all understand and it has to do with your tax dollars i mean when you got money in your bank account I mean, tell me, tell me if I'm wrong, Brandon, but when you got money in your bank account, you're keeping track of that balance. You know, if, if you're getting close to overspending, uh, you know it. Uh, and you're like, oh man, if I buy this, I'm going over. <laughs> and they hit no you bad. What? They hit you bad when you do that too. Uh, big time fee. So has that ever happened to you? Have you ever went over? Um, I've gone over once. That's and, it. Um, and did uh, you get punished? Yeah. And and you remembered that, right? You, you didn't want to. That was like a total waste of money, wasn't it? <laughs> it was like yeah, the that, that's waste a of money. that's a week of food they charge you. Yeah. Well. Um, 
Okay, well, we have a guest on our show today. He is a world-class economist, um, and we are, we're so fra- uh, thrilled to have Frank Ackerman on our show. He has uh, all kinds of books out, and I... It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. You know, as I started, I, I really wanted to have him on the show because he looks at things in a way that we all need to be looking at things. Just like we keep track of our bank account and how that money's spent, we need to start thinking about how our taxpayer money, because guess what? At one time, that was actually in your pocket. Yeah. So why, you know, and it's still supposed to be your money in a way that we are supposed to play a part in how that money is spent. We have to make smart decisions, everyone. That's why you're listening to Smart Health Talk here, because you like being smarter and you like making smart decisions, don't you? Because it feels yucky when you get conned or you get ripped off. Okay, I got to say it. I got to say it. I can't help it, Brandon. We're being conned. Okay. (laughs) I had to expose it right here on Smart Health Talk, everyone. It was exposed. We're being conned. And you know what? Frank Ackerman is going to like open our eyes to a bunch of ways we're being conned, everyone. And, you know, I hate to say con because it implies that, you know, this was premeditated. Uh, And I know that people are supposed to be innocent until proven guilty. But, you know, evidence is like really there. Uh, A little bit of premeditation there. Decisions made are for uh, profit and for money. And we got big time politicians involved. We got big time corporate corporations involved. And they're manipulating things so they make more money and more money and more money and don't have to pay fines and don't have to pay for their pollution. (laughs) Okay, that's got to stop. I'm sorry. You know, this throwing money away and letting these people get away with this has to stop. We are using pesticides in this country at levels like never before. And we, you know, are we really benefiting from all this? Are we really benefiting from all those side effects, all those other things that happen as a result of using what I always called shortcut farming? Yeah, you get more yield, you make a little bit more money there really quick, but then there's a price to pay. Dead soil, soil that just won't give unless you got to put, you got to dump all this stuff in there. It's just not sustainable. It's not regenerative. That's what we need. We want to reverse climate change. And how are we looking at climate change? I mean, oh my gosh, you know, it's crazy. It's like people are just running around. No one even knows where the focus should be, the questions we should be asking. And that's what I keep trying to educate my listeners on. I want you guys to be smart. I want you to be asking the right questions. That is the key. We ha- and then 
But first, you have to know the questions to ask. So that is why we have Frank Ackerman on our show today, because he is going to be setting us straight on just how this whole thing works. And not just that, but, you know, how the decision tree on how maybe we should be looking at things, because there is no cut and dry answer to everything, but we can make better decisions and we all should want that because our planet and our lives and our future are, you know, a little bit out there and we have no solid uh, guarantee that everything's going to be okay here. As a matter of fact, we should all be a little bit scared. Okay. Uh, Frank, are you there? I am. Can you hear me? Yes, I, sh I can hear you great. great. And great. Thank you so much for joining us here on Smart Health Talk. Did you hear that other stuff yeah. I was talking about? I did, yes. How did I do? Well, you raised a lot of important questions. I think one of the things that I would point to about what the government is doing with your money is not so much taking the money away, but are they using it to protect you from the things you need protection from? Thank if you. If your neighbors decided that they could make more money taking in the hazardous waste in their backyard, because people pay to dispose of hazardous waste, uh, the convenience store down the street from you decides that they can make more money running a nuclear waste dump uh, somewhere in your neighborhood, you can't yourself tell what's going on. You can't yourself stop it. You need somebody to stop it for you. That's that's what health and environmental regulations do. They protect you from hazardous things that other people are doing that are going to come crashing in on you and the worst case poisoning you or your children, certainly, you know, making a mess of the neighborhood, making a mess of the environment around you. We all expect that. We expect that kind of care from the government. We expect that however much people rant about regulations, they don't really want hazardous waste dumps opening up next door to them. They want somebody to protect them from that. And that, I think that's, it is nice to have to somebody look. to call, you know, and ha have a leg to stand on. Right. Is that what that's you're saying? Right. And, and to, to have the confidence that somebody's got your back. Somebody knows that you're not supposed to do hazardous things in the neighborhood because it's bad for you. And what I think is, one of the worst things that's happening now is that the Environmental Protection Agency with Scott Pruitt is working as hard as they can to roll back one environmental regulation after another. And these are not weird little rules that somebody dreamed up to bother business. These are things to keep you healthy. The Clean Air Act. But keeps that's the way they're presenting it, Frank. They're, they're saying that we're hurting business, that we're costing jobs. You know, it, I, why are they saying that? Are they covering you, up something? Are they trying to distract us from the real purpose? I think that some of them just don't believe these threats are real, and some of them care more about the businesses. There's always a business that could make more money by breaking the rules. If your neighbor opens a hazardous waste dump, they're going to make money getting paid to dispose of hazardous waste, and never mind if it's poisoning you. And, uh, you know, if well, in California, you don't have coal plants anymore because of air pollution rules. If you could open up coal plants again, then there'd be a lot more pollution. There'd be a lot more respiratory diseases, children and old people 
getting sick and sometimes dying from preventable uh, respiratory diseases. Shutting down coal plants gets rid of that in your environment. Well, did, did you hear, Frank, that uh, one just went bankrupt this past week? And let me tell you, I was not crying for them one single bit because I know, for, I know from a report that I saw where they went around with the biggest uh, owner of coal plants in the country, and he had not done one single thing to try to figure out how to reduce the output of pollution from any of his plants. Not one single thing, not even like a thought. Mm -hmm. And so he had no desire to reduce the pollution that he was subjecting people to, creating asthma attacks, hurting children. Yep. Uh, you know, this pollution thing, people don't realize that has a big impact on health and the health of our, our babies and the health of our children. Uh, long term, what we're being exposed yeah. to. I mean, these things are cancerous a lot of the times too. So that really told me a lot. It just showed yeah. that man had no desire. So the only way that we can make these people change is with policy. No, that's right. And that's what a lot of air pollution rules have done in the past. The only thing that's good about coal is that it looks cheap. It looks like a cheap source of energy. But you can control the pollution, but it's not cheap. And as soon as you put one pollution control device and another one and a third one and a fourth one on a coal plant to try to make it acceptably clean, it's not cheap anymore. It's no longer the cheapest way to make energy. That explains so that, why he didn't so give a care. <laughs> and so if you, if you agree that we need to be protected from all that crud in the air that causes, uh, causes so many diseases, if you agree that it's worth protecting ourselves, our lungs, our health from that, then coal is no longer cheap. And in fact, it's been losing out first to natural gas, which is one step better, and then to renewable energy, which is a whole nother step better in terms of environmental impacts. Well, I know, I know we're mainly talking about the USA, but we do sometimes have to think globally. And you are such a great person for this, Frank, because, I mean, you've been, you've been helping. It says right here from Greenpeace to the European uh, Parliament, uh, state agencies, yeah. international organizations. So, you know, your brain has to go there because you're, you're trying to come up with things that are, um, are, are you're, you're going to be giving uh, consulting and advice to people on something on a global level because that's how they have to think. Well, uh, that's right. I mean, the effects of uh, carbon dioxide, of greenhouse gases, affect everybody all around the world. We affect people all over the world when we emit those, and they affect us when they emit them. So we're all in it together, and we all have to figure out ways to reduce the emissions you know, in order to control global warming. Okay, well, and this is something we all say. But what you bring to the table, Frank, is something on a whole other level. And, you know, when I started reading uh, your paper on climate change, and I started reading some of these numbers, it blew me away. And I just want to read um, just like this first line right here that says, a 2001 study estimated that the cost of not yet meeting the EU standards for 2020 in six areas of regulation waste, biodiversity, nature, water quality, air quality, chemicals, policy, and noise 
amounted to 200 to 300 billion per year. And, you know, what this is telling me is as we're throwing these policies away, isn't that cost adding up, adding up, adding up? That's right. I think what you're quoting there is from the study I did of European regulations, looking at, it was a lot like the TPP with the Asian countries, but this uh, TTIP, they called it Transatlantic Trade and Investment Partnership with the U.S. and the EU were going to both somehow promote trade by reducing regulations on both sides of the ocean. And what I concluded looking at that was that the value of the health protections and the jobs that are created by environmental protection in Europe was greater than the benefits that they claimed that people would get from a little more trade. So that uh, you, you have to watch out that you're not shooting yourself in the foot, you know, to get some small economic benefit when the costs that it brings are even worse. And the uh, one that you had for the chemical industry model, uh, yeah. that one, I was, you know, I actually like sat down and did the math because I was like <laughs> trying to figure out what the total revenue was for the chemical industry. Mm-hmm. Because you had in there that if Uh, The chemical industry, because it's hard from what I got from the paper that the regulations that we have in the United States are not the same as the EU. They're actually, um, they tend to be tighter and um, have more rules than the United States. That's right. Absolutely. And when you looked at like trying to get, uh, if companies from the United States wanted to meet their rules and just even the the companies there, they have to submit what is required. We just take it, we just say, oh, oh, the company that's submitting this pesticide, uh, oh, here's the research that they did. Oh, that looks good. And we just like trust the company did a really good job. They do review it and make sure it's a well-designed study or whatever. But uh, there is a lot of trust involved with the wolf watching the hen house there. But they don't do that so much in the EU, do they, um, Frank? They ask for a little bit more. That's right. Their chemicals policy, which they adopted, uh, what, 10, 11 years ago, requires that anybody who sells or imports chemicals in Europe has to do a certain amount of testing to demonstrate that they're safe. Uh, And the, the bigger the volume you're selling, the more testing you have to do. The tests get more and more complicated. We tend to have a uh, idea that chemicals are innocent until proven guilty. People can bring things onto the market and it's up to EPA or whoever to try to figure out if there's anything wrong and then try to stop them. Oh, when people start dropping dead from it, then we know, oh, hey, 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 we got to do something about that. People are dropping dead. I think we should take a closer look at it. (laughs) so So I did this study of what it was going to cost Europe to do that, you know, and they, they have price lists and estimates of what it costs to have labs run that number of tests. And it was, uh, you know, several billion euros a year. But, you know, nobody knows what a billion is. So I said, what does that look like in comparison to the industry's revenue? And what it looked like was the increased cost of chemical testing would raise the cost of chemicals sold in Europe by one-sixteenth of one percent. 
Uh, Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Um, wow. And, I, that's right. nothing. That's nothing. That's exactly, that's exactly the Compared right answer. To, that's okay. the only possible answer. Well, let's so put it in perspective, Frank. Well, let's put it in perspective because you just said that these rules and that were going to um, only cost 1 16th of 1% compared to their total revenue. But that's what right. are we getting in return? For that one sixteenth of a percent that makes it so worth it, it makes it pay for itself many, many times over. So what you what Europeans get for that chemical regulation is the confidence that things that are on the market have been tested for a number of common health problems that chemicals could cause. They they know that the manufacturer or the importer has tested them and has demonstrated that they don't cause this problem, that problem, the next problem. There's a list of things that they're known to be safe relative to. That's what you get for it. If, if you avoid, you know, the next big chemical hazard, if you avoid the next PCB problem or, uh, you know, the DDT problems that we've had, you know, if you avoid one of these big chemical hazards, which we've later had to clean up, it'll pay for itself many times over. Okay, well, that is a perfect segue because I have the perfect example. And the perfect example is atrazine because atrazine is not allowed over there, right? But we allow it That's in the United right. States. That's right. I think it's the second biggest uh, pesticide here after Roundup, uh, glyphosate. It's number two. Uh, yeah, it's, the, most, it's yeah. the number two most used pesticide. It's used on almost all the corn grown in the country and a number of smaller crops. It's uh, most heavily used in corn. But I thought we grow GMO corn. That's what I was confused about. Is, that a, uh, is there a GMO corn for atrazine or is that we, we grow GMO corn, but we just spray it with atrazine? Well, there's, there's all different types of uh, corn, they're, like they're the kind they feed farm animals. The GMO corn, I mean, I mean, one form of it is, uh, you know, Roundup Ready crops, you know, the things that can survive if you drench the fields with Roundup, which kills all kinds of things and gets rid of a lot of weeds. Atrazine gets rid of a certain number of weeds. I mean, it, it's definitely a powerful weed killer that is uh, spread on, you know, most of the corn fields in the country. Uh, just before or just after the corn sprouts. And well, yeah, let's let's put some math on to atrazine because that's something that you've yeah. done the math on. And so we're spraying, um, it's the second most used pesticide. I mean, that means we're spraying millions of gallons uh, it, per year. I mean, it could even be a billion. amounts of it that are getting sprayed. And to hear the industry talk about it, you'd think that this was, what's standing between us and starvation, like maybe we're going to lose 50% or 80% of the crop if we don't have these uh, latest pesticides. So what I did, I'm not 
you know, a biologist. I can't track down the exact health effects of something like this, but I am an economist and I went looking for what were the economic benefits that the industry claimed it got from using atrazine? You know, what, what do the defenders of atrazine say its economic benefits are? And the latest studies that they've done, which were trying to answer some of their earlier critics, where they do very careful quantitative work, they say that it increases corn yields by 4.4%. So we get, you know, for all the corn we have in America, we get 4.4% more because we use atrazine. Well, and when you compare that against all the other things we get from atrazine that we don't want, which is uh, polluted water, atrazine has been found in virtually every stream, uh, waterway in our entire country. Uh, it's causing uh, all kinds of birth defects. Uh, and we've mentioned these on the show, Dr. Tyrone Hayes, you can find our video on YouTube. And please subscribe everyone to Smart Health Talk. We need subscribers, we need you to go and hit that button to subscribe. And uh, we've been really busy posting uh, videos. We just posted one with our interview with Dr. Michael Hansen, Consumers Report. I don't know if you've ever heard of him, Frank. Uh, for 35 years, he's been like our top pesticide scientist in the country, educating legislators. And Kate Webb, Rep. Kate Webb, who's my my hero, my hero, along with yeah. our our scientists like Frank over here that are you know help setting us straight on where our focus should be and um, how we should be spending our money. But Rep. Uh, what Kate Webb, she was not afraid to stand up to the evil Monsanto and introduce GMO legislation in Vermont, not once, but twice. And even though Monsanto was breathing down their neck saying, we're going to sue you, we're taking you to court, you know, and they have people out there working their booties off, boots on the ground, in the rain, knocking on doors, educating people about GMOs, and they passed that legislation. That little state that could stand up to Monsanto, they were the re as a result of what they did there. Uh, which we all, we had lots of other people that were heroes too out there trying to do this in other states. But Vermont had stood up against Monsanto and won before. So they were the best candidate actually. And they wrote a bill that was solid and their university went through it backwards and forwards and they were ready to go to court against Monsanto. They were ready to implement their GMO labeling law. And yeah. all of a sudden... Oh, those, all those food companies started panicking. And they told their little politicians that are their little puppets to go do what they want. They said, we need a federal GMO labeling bill. Get us one. Mm -hmm. So that's what they did. They got a federal GMO labeling bill that stopped Vermont. That gave them more time to get it together when they knew that whole Vermont thing was coming down for a year and a half. So, uh, you know, the moral of the story is... We can win, everyone. And that's why I love that video. Because even though it seems like they got over on them, we still won. We raised awareness in this country to a level that it had never been before with that fight. Because we came together. And Frank is here today to tell us where we need to put our energy in this fight. We got people out there. We had the Women's March. We had millions of women all over the country. But... 
yes, we're talking about like, you know, sexual discrimination and racism and all this kind of stuff. But we need to be talking about how our dollars in our government, how they're being allocated. Frank, would you explain to everyone how important this is, how the allocation of these dollars in the right way can change our world? Um, well, the, the allocation of money in the federal government determines all kinds of things. It determines who has health insurance, as we've heard a lot about lately. It determines what kind of funding there is for your public schools, how much you have to take out of your own property taxes, how much you might get from the federal government. It affects veteran services. It affects all kinds of things. And the general direction, like I was saying about the EPA, is to, to do less, to cut back on the things that these agencies used to do, and to uh, you know, give the store away in high-income tax cuts. Okay, well, yeah. we've cut we've cut regulations now. I not we Trump has yeah. uh, cut regulations. Uh, we got Sonny Purdue in there too, uh, doing his thing, yeah. allowing the Im importation of. Oh, everyone, get this newsflash! Got a new one. Got a new one coming in from China. GMO rice. Yep. Yeah. Yep. You can start crying. GMO rice, and you know. The only way to get away from this stuff, to say, screw you, I'm not eating your GMO rice, I'm not eating your friggin' crispers, which the, I just heard the EU is like, gonna make it easier for them. And I know it's because of the drugs. They want CRISPR drugs, but the thing is, they're using that to make food too. And they're gonna push that through and start sending out all these crispers, which is a man-made food. Bottom line, designer food, man-made in your local lab, high-tech lab, uh, for whatever they desire. And I don't want it. I don't want it. We have no long-term testing to know that this is safe. I'm sorry. I'm the, science, I'm the food science person over here, so I, I feel like I can confident, confidentially say that. Um, but I do, you know, like we've talked about how we're importing uh, Chinese chicken, and it's for the fast food industry because now they can go ahead and make your your Kentucky Fried Chicken uh, uh, burger, <laughs> you know, chicken burger or fried chicken, getting that all ready for uh, just cook it over there at their local uh, KFC. Um, but, you know, we have to recognize this. Is that really what you want to eat? You want no, to eat I mean, Chinese chicken. I think that's chicken. a big problem that, um, you know, we've gone so far in making food cheap. Food is cheaper, you know, going out to restaurants, fast food and all is so much cheaper than it was a generation or two ago. Than ever. People are spending less percentage of their total income on food than any time in history, Frank. I heard Absolutely. another scientist and say that. <laughs> we've definitely reached a point where, I mean, there are people who are hungry, but there are a lot more people who are overweight and obese you know and it's like it's very hard to think that cheap food is what the country needs i think there are lots of things that ought to be done just as uh matters of sustainable society and environment start with paying farm workers a living wage uh a lot of the a lot of the crisis about uh immigration is about farm work in particular having been defined as something that pays so little that nobody who lives here wants to do it so you have to have immigrants doing it 
Um, I would personally rather know that the food that I ate came from someplace that paid a more decent wage. I don't have a specific number in mind, but that's one thing that worries me if we're looking at the big picture. On these pesticides, we often have accepted pesticides that do all kinds of harm for very tiny economic gains. Uh, I wrote a book about this, which I called Poison for Pennies. And the, the title is one the of message several books that, that Frank's wrote. We're going to get we're going to make sure that we give the whole list so that people okay. can find your books, Frank, because they're all just from everything I've read so far. Um, this is some of the best stuff that I've read because I know this is the key to us solving our problems. So go ahead, Frank. I'm you can sorry. see them listed there. But it's, uh, you know, th with the atrazine story. So we put this possibly quite hazardous pesticide on most of the corn in the country. We get 4.4% more corn. Um, the thing is that brings down the price. You know, if you're in farming, you know, you have, if everybody has a bumper crop, the price goes down and you can be worse off. So if everyone gave up atrazine and yields dropped by 4.4%, the price of corn, according to these same industry studies, would go up by 8%. You know, the price per bushel would go up 8%. So the farmers would be better off, actually. They'd lose 4.4% of their crop, but they get paid 8% more per bushel. So the only people who win from this, from using atrazine, they're not on the farms. The people who win from it are the people who are enjoying cheaper corn because we grew more and it was cheaper. And corn... You know, there's a little bit of corn that people eat as corn on the cob or popcorn, but corn is mostly used to produce beef, uh, ethanol, and corn syrup. So I try to imagine, you know, picture you have to go tell your doctor, the bad news is corn's so expensive now that I have to eat 4.4% less beef and corn syrup next year. My guess is your doctor's going to applaud uh, that that's obviously better for you. So, you know, what are we doing trying to spray these chemicals on to save these tiny amounts of money to make food that we probably eat too much of a little bit cheaper? It, it makes no sense at all. It doesn't. And that, and that, if we stop doing that, then we would have enough offset costs that we could retrain these farmers and start training new farmers um, it's my recommendation in this new farm bill that we have way more money for organic because we're having to import so much that we can't even supply what we the demand that we have for American people. But yet we can grow and spend when I look at the farm bill and I look at that pie chart. I mean, it, it's it tells a story clear as day where all the money's going. Like you said, Frank, it's going towards meat. When you look at all of, you know, all these GMO crops, that's over half of how we're spending billions of dollars. And the, the GMO corn for the biofuels where we're creating like, and, and actually, Frank, what, what do you think about that? Like the economics of biofuels and offsetting the use of GMOs and glyphosate to grow or, or atrazine to grow this corn for biofuel. I, mean, I, don't, I don't think corn makes any sense as a fuel. Mm -hmm. There's some arguments for particular 
biofuels that might make sense, but the corn is not efficient enough as a way to grow energy for it to make any sense. You use so much energy growing and processing the corn into ethanol. It, you hardly come out ahead in terms of saving other energy. It's, it's a way to keep farm, corn farmers fully employed, but I'm not sure that it's really doing that much good for the rest of us. And they act like we don't want anything else to eat but corn, you know. We want other things to eat besides corn. I was, I had mentioned on my show, you know, we have GMO potatoes now. And they spray some of the worst pesticides and they put chemicals on it. And that's what you're eating over at your McDonald's. And the only reason they taste so good are those artificial flavors that they put on there that actually stimulates the addictive part of your brain. Uh, but... We had, there was like a woman that won an award for a potato that it's organic potato and it was resistant to all these different diseases. And then there, they found a potato in Denmark that you could use with salt water. You could actually grow it with salt water. You didn't even need pure water. We have not even done a good uh, analysis of all the seeds and crops that we have in the world at our disposal right now and we are going and spending all this money to make these designer seeds that aren't even like benefiting us so to me again i'm doing my own cost analysis frank and i'm saying that's a waste of money <laughs> yep no i think so <laughs> okay now right. i want to get into the economics of, i want to go back for all all of our regular listeners who fought with their whole being with so much passion against the TPP. Um, I want to get back to that a, a little bit about, because we are still battling NAFTA and these other trade, um, these other trade situations, including solar, which uh, the, the president just, you know, slapping some tariff on there. What do you think about that? Is that because we want, more green energy we want more solar is that going to help achieve that or is that hurting it it's going to hurt a little bit it, it's not a huge slowdown because solar is advancing so rapidly <clears throat> and there's so many places where it's uh looking attractive now i saw one estimate that said it might be an eight percent reduction in how much solar energy we install but tremendous amounts are being installed uh, one place after another where it starts to look good. Uh, I think you're probably surrounded by a lot more of it there than I am here in Massachusetts, although we have a fair <laughs> amount in Massachusetts. Uh, it turns out solar panels work better when it's cold out. I mean, who knew? So it's, oh, really? uh, <laughs> it's, well, uh, it's, it's not as strange as you think to see it installed in the Northeast. But... Uh, certainly Southern California is a wonderful place for solar energy. Uh, in Hawaii, it's completely cheaper than other sources of electricity, and they have problems about everyone is trying to put solar panels on their roof. And uh, some of the state, the counties in Hawaii won't let anybody build new solar installations unless they have batteries with them to save the energy for the nighttime. Um, you know, it, it's coming on very fast. I think that the tariff will slow it down a little bit, but won't actually uh, stop the momentum that it now has because it's becoming cost effective in one place after another. Well, how about this, Frank? 
uh, for a little uh, numbers thrown around there. Uh, of course, Elon Musk has his solar tiles, which are incredible. They're beautiful. And so when someone has their roof um, uh, changed, they get a new roof, they can have the, these tiles that have the solar in the tile. So you don't even need any solar panels. And it makes an absolutely beautiful roof. And it's collecting solar energy all at the same time. And he claims that his roof is going to be cheaper than a normal roof. Plus, it's going to be solar. So I just think that's just going to mess up. Trump's whole little plan there on what he was trying to do because those those tiles are set to come out any time now. So um, I think that that will be kind of interesting to see how that whole thing plays out. But like you said, the technology is just moving so quickly and China is definitely helping uh, to push that. It's their plan to get you know, into solar really big. And it was so exciting when I read that it was almost like 100% of the new energy for 2017 was green, ener green energy. So now, we're, we're doing it, whether the federal really government wants to make their own little rules over there. And a lot of states are like really, you know, fighting back against these policies that are being set that are um, increasing uh, pollution and giving more rights to these companies and I think there's a little bit of a fight over here in California because we want to tell uh, we want to do something about taxing here uh, with big corporations where the federal government was you know taking giving them money pretty much <laughs> and not giving it to the government uh, giving it to the corporation and so the state of California is saying uh, we're going to charge you. Uh, we're going to charge you some extra money there. So, uh, I guess the economics of renewable energy. I, one of the stories that I find most interesting is the story of wind power in the middle of the country. Uh huh. Because uh, we have places basically between the Mississippi River and the Rocky Mountains. You know, the Plain States are some of the windiest onshore parts of the world. And it is incredibly cheap to set up wind turbines there. And these are almost all red states. You know, some of them are deeply into climate denial. And they're just building wind turbines because it's so incredibly cheap because it's so windy. And, you know, it costs the same amount to put up a turbine whether you're in a very windy or a slightly windy place. And so you have states that deny that they want to do anything about climate change that are taking some of the leading roles in installing renewable energy. Oh. Um, the Kansas, uh, you know, a lot of states have these renewable portfolio standards. They say they have to get a certain amount of electricity from renewables uh, by some date in the future. Kansas had a standard that said they had to, they had a goal of 20% renewable energy by, I don't know, some year in the future. And the Republicans repealed it. But by the time they repealed it, Kansas was already getting 29% of its electricity from wind. So what was the <laughs> point of repealing it? Yeah. Uh, so I, wind, onshore wind in windy places is the absolutely cheapest form of renewable energy around. Um, oh, you know, big dams are cheap, but you, all the sites for big dams are used up. Uh, that whole section in the middle of the country... Iowa, uh, the Dakotas, uh, all through there down to West Texas, 
is all such wind country that we have an enormous renewable energy economy springing up, often in states that are committed to denying its existence. <laughs> That's so ironic. Um, so uh, why don't you go ahead and like give us just a quick lesson on uh, the economics of climate change because we have things that are going to happen as a result of climate change. And I like what you said in your paper that we could have a loss um, of 5%, but if we spent 1% of that 5%, we could save 4 Well, that's, that's true. Uh, if you knew that those were the right numbers, that would be a no-brainer. You'd absolutely say spend 1% to save 5 um, we're reasonably sure about the costs of reducing emissions. It's not free, but it's, you know, it's in the low percents of the economy, one, two, three percent, some people's estimates. The, what we don't know is how bad the damages will be. And this year's hurricanes showed that. Uh, I hear you've enjoyed a few years of drought out there, uh, which may be a little worse than it has been sometimes. Um, you know, how much of that, how much sea level rise, how much some of these hidden problems like the acidification of the oceans, which is going to undermine coral reefs and the entire shellfish industry and, you know, all kinds of problems that are looming and we're moving into climate territory that we've never been in. We're moving into temperatures that there's no human experience with. We don't know how fast things will get bad, but we know they are getting bad. Uh, how fast will the Greenland ice sheet melt? Well, no one's exactly sure, but it's pretty obvious that ice melts faster when the air is warmer. So the more we warm things up, the more these big ice sheets are going to melt, which is going to contribute to sea level rise. So this is like an insurance policy against you know, a potentially cataclysmic loss. You know, it's like, you know, you buy fire insurance even though you don't think your house is going to burn down because it would be too big a loss if your house did burn down. Most people never use their fire insurance, but they still think it's a good deal. And I, we have to think about climate policy that way. If we know that we could spend one, two, three percent of our incomes uh, creating a new renewable energy industry, which would create jobs itself, you know, wind power technicians, one of the fastest growing jobs in the country right now. It, it would definitely create new categories of jobs. It would create new industries. It would cost a little more than the old kind of energy did. But if it helped to catalyze a worldwide movement toward controlling climate change, then the droughts and the hurricanes and the sea level rise and all of that would be less of a problem in the future. And what we might save, you know, preventing our entire social house, as it were, from burning down is just incalculably greater. It, so I think that's, is that the kind that's of thing that you argument. cover in your climate change and global equity uh, book? Because we only have a couple minutes left and I want to, sorry to uh, cut in there. I just wanted to make sure I got the names of your books in before we uh, finish the show because we only have two minutes the latest left. The one that I've done is called Worst Case Economics. Uh, extreme events in climate and finance. And it's talking about that kind of argument. What, what makes it so likely that, you know, we have financial crashes and we have 
extreme climate risks, and both of them are dangerously more common than we ever would have hoped or expected. So how should we be protecting ourselves against them? That's the, that's the problem I've been thinking about in my latest writing. Uh, again, if you go to frankackerman.com on the web, it's my website of my publications. You can find all of these. Well, I'm, I'm very impressed with, um, with what I learned from reading your writings, and I'm, I'm going to keep going through it because it's kind of new to me, <laughs> and I'm trying to absorb it. But I think this is the key, everyone. We, we have to start looking at the economics, start looking at the numbers, and start making some good decisions here going forward. It's very, very important. And I just want to thank you for kind of putting us in that place there, Frank, and, and sending us down that path. And uh, your expertise and your time today was greatly appreciated. Thank you so very much. Thanks for the opportunity to be here with you. Well, you're definitely on our hero list. So thank you for explaining that to us. And everyone, thank you for tuning in. Please go to bluemonarchproject.com. If you go there under problems, if you live in the area, if you live in Loma Linda Redlands or Loma Linda Academy, I have what pesticides are used there. So please go to Blue Monarch Project and what plants we're going to be having for sale. Thank you so much for listening to Smart Health Talk. Bye. Right before me, my newfound hippie side Once ignored these conspiracies online Out the window, visions of the earth Sign me up now, make sure KCAA Loma Linda, 1050 AM, 106.5 FM, and now 102.3 FM.